The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Third Man Podcast. I am but your humble co-host, James Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. This is a Jack White Third Man Records history program. And we're entering the back half of season seven. And we've got a couple special episodes to close out with. And this is one of them, James. Yeah, uh, we have a, a guest with us here today. Someone who I met recently, who some people might have encountered on in the white swirl days going by the name of narf i know he has been a listener of the show and has uh extensive jack white white stripes (laughs) brendan benson knowledge and experience (laughs) we have frank and selmo we uh we ran into each other at the brooklyn show uh over it uh the steel brooklyn steel Brooklyn Steel, thank you. But yeah, we met at that at that show recently, and yeah, uh, we we bumped into each other because uh, we were both insane and showed up very early for the show. Uh, why don't we? Well, first of all, hi Frank. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, uh, James and Paul. I'm just really uh, just so excited, you know, to be on this. You you guys are awesome, and uh, it's just uh, it's been such a pleasure listening to you guys chat about anything to do with with Jack White. So I just want to start with a huge thank you to you guys. Our pleasure. And uh, we're going to get to it in this episode, but your connections and uh, to the the world of Jack and Third Man, and uh, we'll get to the collection part of it as well, are really impressive. So I just, I mean, James had given me a bit of the preface after you saw the show together, but I was uh, blown away by what I saw when, when we actually started getting the show together. So I'm really excited to dive in today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, awesome. I'm, I'm, so psyched. Paul, before we get into the episode proper, should we should we do a little segment here? I think I fell in love with something. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> There's a, yes. James, <laughs> should we do fell in love with a show? Yeah, let's get into it. This is going to be a dual fell in love with the show this this episode. Paul, do you want to explain what fell in love with the show is for the audience and yeah, for a, Frank here? A dual fell in love with the show is when James and Frank fight each other <laughs> to the death. Uh, it is uh, where we... Uh, that sounds it. fun already. Yes, it's good. Yeah, virtually it'll be difficult, but we can have some proxies. I'm a um, soft New Jersey boy. I will fall very quickly. <laughs> fell in love with the show. We haven't done one in a while, but it's where we go over uh, Jack and Third Man concert 
that we recently uh, experienced. James and I did one for the Supply Chain Issues Tour we saw in L.A. Yeah. The the SoFi is in Inglewood, I think, technically. But regardless, uh, we're going to do a fell in love with the show today about the show you two saw. So uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, I showed up to Brooklyn super early. I took the day off. It was 60 degrees the day prior and the day after, but the the day we got that the show was, it was 30-something degrees outside and raining, so we were all insane. I show up there. I am maybe the 10th or 15th person to be there. I show up where I think the end of the line is, and I tell people, uh, you guys are insane. And they go, excuse me? I went, well, we're all waiting here in the cold and rain. And they went, well, this is the front of the line. And I go, ah! And so I mosey on back to the back of the line where the actual the green room door is so that was pretty convenient and then all of a sudden somebody walks up to me going mr kaminsky and i i guess you heard my voice or something but you came over and you said hi am i getting that right (laughs) you're getting it right you know i saw you and i think i looked you guys up once i'm like you know i've been listening to these guys for years and i don't even know what they look like and so i i uh i found a picture and i saw you i actually Asked a buddy of mine to send me a picture of you so I could verify. So I'm not just some weirdo going up to someone randomly. And yeah. yeah. It's a good, I mean, it's a good place to do that. Uh, lines are a good place to chat up strangers, yes. I think. You got to have a good line buddy. I tell you, I I miss having line buddies. When I when I moved from New York to LA, I'd finally, over a couple years, established line buddies. And now I'm going to need all new ones. Yep. Um, and I'm in my 30s. I don't want to be making friends. You know, I'm in my late, late 30s here. That's not the time to be making new friends, but I'm going to have to. But I I'll mean, tell you something. Something I've done at every Jack White or White Stripe show is when I get there, I get my place in line. Then I walk up to the front to, to, to say hi all, to all fans I've met at shows or online. And with each White Stripe show all the way to Jack White and Dead Weather and Tours, I see less and less people. Um and at this show, I didn't see one person I knew uh, anywhere online. There was no huh. one that, wow. that I'm like, wow, I'm all alone. And I, I've been at this since 2000, late 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's always someone I see, at least one person. So I was just surprised. I, at the very least, I was thankful that, that you were there because I also didn't have anybody. It was actually the first concert I've ever gone solo. I've never gone to a concert by myself before. So it was really nice to have somebody to chat to while I was waiting in line in hey, this James. frigid environment. James, it's awesome. You can yeah, it, just you you have the complete freedom, mobility, yeah. go wherever you need to go at any given time. Yeah. It's uh, wonderful. Highly recommend. That said, uh, it was really nice to, to chat with you. We, we chatted online for quite some time. I was very close to the green room, like I said. So as we were chatting, people were wandering in and out of the green room, including the band was going in. We had Daru come out, make an appearance. I know, Frank, you said right before I got there, Jack and the, the rest of the band had gone through. So... I missed that by a little bit because I went to go pee at the bar over across the street. That's a mistake. There's no peeing in concerts. Yeah. There's just not. I know. But it was 4. It was 4 p.m. The show didn't start. The doors didn't open until, what, 7 or 8 even? But uh, anyway, so we got uh, Olivia Jean made an appearance um, to, to take a smoke break. And uh, she kind of hid between two of the, the trucks that were there to stay away <laughs> from fans and... I guess I was the only one with the audacity to ask her for a photo. And I, once I mentioned, you know, who I was, she, she, you know, lit up and 
it was nice. Apparently, I, I hit her with an umbrella because <laughs> she was coming out the door and the umbrella what? was blocking the door. Why is it that we can never have an encounter with Olivia Jean without doing something mortifyingly We can't have nice things. She was nice enough to take a photo with me and, and, and chat for a second. And then uh, we Lalo... Uh, was there. He had also uh, remembered us, and, and that was nice. And Daru, when he was going out, we I assume for food, but Daru was walking around in the most beautiful outfits I've ever seen in my life. The man looked like a like a king. He looked like he was ready to sit on a throne. It was great. He's big on Keith Haring. And, uh, uh, oh, Paul, um, we're alumni, by the way. School of Visual Arts. Oh, no way. What year? Yeah, man. I graduated in 99. I, I started, yeah, so we're a couple of years apart there. But uh, yeah, what program were you in? I was in the advertising program. Ah, the smart one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You did this. I don't know about that. You did the smart good thing. Yeah, okay. My first day at SVA, look, look there's a, a quick little sidebar, but it's worth it. Um, I walk into the lobby and who do I see? Luke Skywalker. Oh, no way. I couldn't believe, to me, he wasn't Mark Hamill. He's Luke Skywalker. And I went right up to him. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm looking into the animation program from one of my kids. I heard this is one of the best. I'm like, that's what I heard. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get him to sign something. So I grabbed this pamphlet and he wrote me an awesome autograph. But anyway, that was my first experience. So I'm like, if the force is here, it can't be all that bad. (laughs) That's awesome. Were you staying there, George Washington, or were you commuting in? Oh, no, I I was commuting from Long Island at the time before I moved into Manhattan. As were many of my friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I went to UArts. It's it's. James ran into uh, uh, Obi Wan's friend Dex. Uh, at Hello, Dex. Yeah, yeah Dexter Chester. Still, still scratching. Um, uh, well, some would say more famous than Luke Skywalker is Dexter Chester, uh, the hero of Star Wars Two, uh, Attack of the Clones. Star um, Wars anyway, Two. I call it Star Wars Two. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. So uh, we got we got some some nice meetings of some of the famous over there. That was nice, and we went into the show. Now, Frank, it was at this point that you went back to your spot in line and, and went into the show. I don't know. Uh, did you go directly to the stage? Did you d- make any side tours? Because I made the mistake of going to the coat check first because I needed to kind of ditch the umbrella and the coat and stuff. So I, I don't regret it, and I was still able to get pretty close to the stage. But uh, you had you had a primo spot. Did you go? beeline right for the stage i have never in my life ever stopped for merchandise <laughs> or i've i leave my jacket at home i That's make right. a beeline for center stage every time That's it's right. my uh jack white religion I'm, I'm a man after my own heart i uh i, I am the same I, I don't give that spot up for anybody i'm just i can i just say it was very cold and you did not bring a jacket <laughs> Oh, man. It was cold, man. I got to tell you. Like, Lalo shook my hands, and he was like, where are your gloves? And I was like, I don't have them. And he's like, okay. It was a problem, but... Yeah, it was... It, it was very cool. It was nice once we got in, man. It's uh, It was a bigger venue than I expected. But, you know, when you're on the front gate, you know, you guys you guys were both in Madison Square Garden, right? For yep. White Stripes? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Pretty far when you're away. right in the front, it's like the house always feels small. But it, it's uh, it's fun to, to turn around and just feel the crowd from there. It's such a great shot. Yeah. Um, but that was an awesome crowd. I mean, I just liked it just felt a bit more violent than than other shows, <laughs> like in a good way. Yes. Like it was really like like people were really just like hyped up. Like I just it was just a different energy. It was the most energetic I've seen a crowd in a long time. Jack was 
just reflecting all of that energy back. I mean, we had the the supply chain issues, typical stuff with Chris, the DJ, coming out and ask, you know, yeah, saying this. like, you know, you, you got to be energetic because he's going to just take it and work with it and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he's got his spiel that he does uh, every time, which I've gotten, I've grown fond of. Uh, it's it's good. I, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Jack was just bouncing out. You know what I really liked about this show was the fact that there was no curtain separating the audience from Jack. He came out onto the stage yeah. this, this time, yeah. which we didn't get during most of the Supply Chain Issues tour. They have the curtain with the shadows and it raises. But this one, they they played the din just right in front of you, and you you know he's bouncing around and and getting energized and jazzed, and the crowd was energetic, and he was smiling ear to ear the whole time. And you got to hear uh, before Jack came out, you got to hear yes in advance some of the uh, new at least at least one of the new songs from Olivia Jean's forthcoming. Album. Thank you. Yeah, I completely forgot to mention Olivia Jean opened and did a fantastic job. Now, Frank, you you were less familiar with Olivia's stuff before this. Did you? How did you like the show? Oh, I thought she was fantastic. I think her her songwriting is is fantastic. Her music becomes more and more catchy and fun. She has such a stage presence. I mean, she has all the pieces. It comes down to you know, do you like the attitude of that? Kind of music. And, you know, some people are very picky with the type of music they listen to, but, you know, it's very punky. I know mm-hmm. she considers it, she's called it surf rock, but I feel like she's venturing out a bit more. Like it's a bit more, it just sounds like punk pop to me. And when I say pop, I say that in a really good way. I, I loved it. I thought she was fantastic. And yeah. her bassist, I love her bassist. She seemed so jazzed to be there. She made the same joke twice when she went, I am Olivia G. <laughs> and she said it to the audience several times, which was very fun. <laughs> One right, thing I loved about this show was that the stage wasn't elevated like at the other shows. Yes. And you felt so much closer to the acts. Yeah, and, and so much so that when David Swanson was out taking photos in the front of the stage, you know, he was ducking in front of us to, <laughs> to take the photos and, and what have you instead of, you know, he's usually, there's a little more height to the stage and, and he's not crouching down so, so much, which I think it was his birthday that day. Yeah, so that was, uh, Olivia's set was great. We got a preview of some of her new tracks, Ditch, I believe. And yeah, we have since heard uh, the first single coming out of that album. And yeah, she, she played a great show. Trouble, uh, we were talking about this, James, when you were visiting. I think Trouble is a, a very strong opening single for this album. Yeah. And even though I love those first two albums, I think this is a stronger opening single than Night Owl or Mistakes. And I love those songs. So I think I'm very much looking forward to this record. And Frank, to your point, I don't know why the hell she never broke big or, or broke outside of that third band bubble, actually, because... When I heard Bathtub Love Killings for the first time, I thought, well, this is really, this is pretty commercial. But I don't know, maybe it's just a guitar music thing, like it was just the wrong time for it or something. I don't know. Um, But I wish, I think she deserves better. And I'm hopeful that the extra attention of the marriage will put a few more eyeballs and eardrums on her and her music, because uh, I think she deserves it. But that's just my humble opinion. I, I agree. Most of our stuff is, is a lot catchier than what I hear on alternative radio today. Yeah, it's weird how that works out. But once we get into collecting stuff, Olivia Jean is strangely connected to how my obsession started. Physically connected to a place 
and a time and someone interrupted this segment, but you just reminded me of it. <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to that then. So during the show, we get, you know, your typical numbers. He does start out with Taking Me Back and, and Fear of the Dawn, but he's playing some extended solos. Daru and Dominic are laughing at how energized Jack <laughs> is. He is in peak form. He does Apple Blossom on, on the piano and then like calls Quincy over to, to, to take over for him and he, as he grabs a guitar. And I think he was very, very, very much feeling the crowd. I, I don't know if, if you saw this guy in the back, Frank, the, the tambourine guy, the guy who brought a tambourine and the guy who brought a harmonica. In the back of the crowd? Three, uh, it was like three people behind where we were. Because like I was like a Hold couple Hold on, there, there's, a fa- there's a fan playing a harmonica in the crowd? <laughs> yes, <laughs> someone, brought a, someone brought a harmonica and somebody brought a tambourine. And they were playing the tambourine at a lot of it, moments during the, the, the show. And Jack was like loving it. He was like pointing to the guy and like, yeah. So, so I think he was very much uh, interested look- in that. I'm looking at the set list here. There's not a whole lot of surprises, but there's two that I'm particularly interested in hearing about. Although I'm, I think he's been doing what's done is done with some regularity. Although that, I'm I'm happy to hear that one being trotted out because it's a pretty strong track, one of the more complete sounding songs from Boarding House Reach. So I'm happy to mm-hmm. see that he did that. And I'm also tickled that you guys got to hear a Madman from Manhattan live. That's awesome. A great version of it. Again, some extended solo uh, stuff going on in all of this. I was also extremely here, What's Done is Done, because I think that is one of my kind of go-to tracks on that album at this point. Like you said, it's a it's a complete song. <laughs> so yeah, it could have gone feels... on acoustic recordings if the yeah. album had can't come out three years later. Like, it's... It sounds a little more what we were used to. It was a, a bit, a, bit of, a dose of the familiar on an otherwise uncharted territory. And it's nice to hear a Boarding House Reach connection, because sometimes that, that era of Jack White feels like a monolith uh, separated from yes. everything else. And so when you hear it in the midst of the the rest of the White Stripes material and the raconteurs and uh, stuff, you know, it feels like, oh, yeah, I forgot, but Boarding House Reach does have a, a right. secure place in his catalog, and so it's nice to hear it being trotted out every now and then. Now, that's how I feel about some of those elephants. So we're in the process of doing a three-part elephant thing, and I was talking about how that album, I was almost scared to listen to it because it's so connected for me in a nostalgic way to a very specific time specifically a freshman year of SVA when I was a freshman at SVA when that came out and it, it made such an impression on me and it was in my you know CD disc man or whatever I was listening to at the time I think it was a disc man but you never really hear him play songs like there's no home for you here girl go away you know that you don't hear some of these things an awful lot and so that's why for me they feel particularly cemented in that time period but Anyway, I digress. Man, if he if he brought out "There's No Home for You Here," I would be belting that that out. Yeah. Big um, surprise for me was uh, um, "Blue Orchid." What an amazing yeah. rendition of that! Yes, it was a a really funky version of "Blue Orchid." It was it was like kind of slow paced, and and then he he eventually picked it up like halfway through. But yeah, that was a different way to hear it. Um, is it on Nugs yet? Because I, I would love to I don't play think a bit I of that. A couple of days ago, I don't think it's up yet. So that was that was really cool, and then. You know, at the end of the show, he he thanked the audience like he typically does. You know, he introduces the band uh, after the encore and then says, you know, you've been great and I've been Jack White. But then he came back to the microphone and I've never seen him do this, but he was like, this 
audience was the best audience I've ever had in Brooklyn. Wow. He seemed super jazzed with us. And I, I know I told Frank this, and Paul, I know you know this. I always feel a sense of accomplishment <laughs> when, when that man likes the audience. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I helped. We I did, helped him. Because we didn't get that in Inglewood, did we? We got No, we didn't. We got a wardrobe malfunction. He just seemed that was pissed fun. off the whole time. But well, uh, I'll tell you, I, I want to, I'll add one other thing. Sure. You know, you talked about, uh, James, about Apple Blossom and how he stopped. He went to the piano. I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, that's like, I blinked my eyes for a second and I saw, you know, red, white and black. I'm like, you know, that's Jack doing what he's always done. You know, I, I just get tired of these fans trying to always compare, like, you know, the White Stripes Jack versus Solo Jack. It's like he'll always be the White Stripes guy. And the way he attacks the stage and, and you know, it's just it, it's an element of him that's always there. And I always see. So, yes, it's a different thing. You can't really compare anything to the White Stripes. But, you know, I always have that in my head. And it's like you have to see him through that lens or else you're not going to fully appreciate all those little things he does. But, you know, if you're not in the front, you don't quite see all those little things as much. Yeah. Like yeah. Dominic's constantly looking over, like, what the hell are we going to do next? Daru's like waiting there. Yeah, he's Daru's like a mannequin. The- That's his thing. He waits there, you know, and he's, he's chatting in between everything. He's never changed that. And that that's the element of Jack White that I'm just so grateful that he's never changed. That spontaneous element, that no set list. You don't know what the hell's going to happen. It's a surprise every three minutes, sometimes in the middle of a song, a surprise. And uh, that's White Stripes, Jack White, always present. Yeah, yeah d- definitely. The spontaneity is key to, to his performance. And I get that White Stripes feeling and I, I realize it's kind of cliche, but like when Dead Leaves comes on, I do I get washed over with, oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Jack White of the White Stripes. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's that guy played with Meg. <laughs> yeah. So like I I get that feeling whenever he does Dead Leaves. James, I hear you, know, you have I, some controversial feelings about Meg White that you wanted to share with us today. <laughs> yeah, let me tweet about it uh, for a second. <laughs> I don't, Frank. It's, <laughs> it's I have no idea how how much you you were uh, present for the. the I, I, I've seen some of the things people share. As soon as anything white stripes comes up, I get like fifty text messages. Like, let's just be honest. I mean, we know this already. People are just complete morons, and uh, mm-hmm. it's usually people that are writers for for like journalists, quote unquote journalists, or people that work in music but have this snobby attitude. You know, like I remember watching an episode of uh, of Anthony Bourdain where they went to some, was it Anthony Bourdain? I think it was, and they went to like a Sizzler um, buffet table and and made their own creations. And I'm like, how awesome! This is Anthony Bourdain, who's had the best food oh, in the awesome. world, but he appreciates something that's fifteen dollars yeah. all you can eat. The point here I'm making. This is a long walk. <laughs> for the point here is to put her down because you know she's not. You know, she's not playing some complex thing is is the most ridiculous. It's a waste for us to even talk about it. But I always use the, the example of like, I've never been a huge Eric Clapton fan, and I'm much less of a fan now, but he's amazing. He's one of the greatest guitar players. Yes. But that kind of sort of like, to me, it's kind of like old man rock. Of course, there's a couple of great songs. I'm not bashing him, but it's not my thing. It's never excited me like like the Clash or the Ramones or the Beatles or the Stones. And and to me, it's like for all his talent, Meg White is on much more excited recorded yes. music in history <laughs> than an Eric Clapton. That's but right. To me, it's like, what are you, what are you part of? And I just look at what she's part of and it's like, holy shit. 
it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, on the topic of old Slowhead, Cream and Derek and the Domino stuff. I never uh, that stuff is one thing, but I am in a total agreement on Clapton solo, except for maybe cocaine. <laughs> that's that's a pretty because good he was song. high on cocaine. That's a pretty good um, song, and I think Bell Bottom Blues, unless that's a Derek and the Domino song. Well. But those are my two. Anyway, we don't. I I don't think any one of us is going to say a, a piece as as poignant as uh, a lot of the other musicians who have been defending or coming to Meg's defense have been. You know, your Karen Elsons, your your Quest Loves. Courtney Love yesterday at the time of this recording came out and was like, "They're not going to get in the Rock Hall because they are sexist." The Rock Hall sexist. I was like, <laughs> "I'm happy somebody is out there." connecting this in the rock hall because if you see those fan <laughs> votes it's not looking good for the candy cane children right now at all so i am i really don't want to see them fall into that tribe called quest like pit where they're nominated for 10 years and yeah. never get in or whatever but anyway um, well at least rolling stone is obsessed with them anyway so jack was loving the show yes he was he was in peak jack form i mean he's bouncing around he was clearly in a fasting stage because that man was <laughs> hopped up. He was bouncing around. After the show closed, Frank, you and I uh, said our goodbyes, and uh, it was a great show. I And what I did something I've never done at a Jack show, because I was solo, I went and waited by the green room door for the band to come out for a full hour <laughs> in the colds. So what there a was creep. I know, I know. I was waiting there with a bat. I was like, you son of a... I was one of the children with a baseball bat that uh, they smells a rat with. Anyway, th- so I, we waited for about an hour. Me and about 10 other people were there, and the f- band finally came out. Jack came out, said, like, thank you. He bowed. I, You know, I was hoping to get an autograph. I was like, eh. He, he was... Clearly, it was cold. He was late, and he was tired. Uh, which I understood. However, one guy didn't. He was just, or one, I think it was a, a woman, was just like, that's all you're going to do. I'm like, stop, stop. It's oh, like, no. It's like midnight. The, the man's tired. He just played a good show for us. Anyway, uh, the rest of the people were chill and cool about it. Uh, it was nice to just hear him say thank you to, to us 10. I know when Lalo came out, actually, right before the band came out, Lalo came out to, like, check the vans and stuff. He saw us... 10 waiting at the green room door and went, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which is a very funny interaction to have. It's just like, oh, all right, they're still here? Okay. Uh, funny. Good. So, yeah, great show. Frank, any other any other words on the, on, the, on the show? No, I mean, I want more. You know, I wake up the next morning and I'm like, I'm thankful, but I want more. There have been tours where I've got to see Jack four or five times in New York and then neighboring cities, uh, quick drives to like Boston. But yeah, this tour has been slim pickings in the the tri-state area, aside from, uh, was it Barclays earlier in the tour? And now this, it's just two shows. Here's the thing. Has he ever played solo in New Jersey? Because he used to play like with the Stripes. He played a couple times, obviously, at the the Tweeter Center and at... uh, and he played in Jersey City and Hoboken. When well, I saw like, a show, one of my favorite White Stripe shows ever. I think it was 2002 at a place called the Birch Hill Nightclub. I don't think it's there anymore. Look this up. This was tiny. There wasn't even a stage. It was like they were just right there. And people are like talking, not paying attention. It, it, it's a pretty early show. And Brendan Benson opened with the, with the well-fed boys it was incredible. I have like two rolls of film I shot from the front. Um, amazing photos that no one's seen. I got to dig them out. They're actually like developed photos. And it was an incredible night. What what uh, month in 2002? 
Oh gosh, I'm is bad it, with or that. Is it early it, in the year or later in the year? Or? I don't remember. I'm bad with that stuff. But there's a poster for it that's like numbered, so I could I could track that down. But uh, but that was a really special show because you could just walk in when they're starting from the back and go right to the front gate. April 9th. April 9th. So you April saw 9th. them right before they left to go record Elephant. Uh, you, you saw them maybe a couple days before they left because those sessions started on April 14th. That's awesome. So, the, so, so yeah, that, that show was great. It's the white. Ah. So that's blood cells. You would have, people would have known about blood cells maybe, but even that hadn't quite. I and guess he did, did good. To, he did good to me uh, <laughs> at that show, which it, uh, obviously he would cover w- on uh, an album with Elephant on a uh, not on an album, but on a single with Elephant. So it was pre-Elephant, good to me. Farmer John, a Don Harris cover, yeah. Rated X. Man, some good stuff. Oh yeah. So let's. Uh, well, why don't we transition into that then and and talk a little bit about? <laughs> Wait, real quick, I just want to say, Jack White says we have one more song uh, before we're going to head out of here. This is at the end of the encore. They were just gonna. They were setting up their equipment to play the last song, and uh, I shouted "Bull Weevil," and, and one guy, one guy behind me went, "Wow, Bull Weevil!" And I was like, "Yes, somebody gets it," because I, I miss, I miss having an ending song. I don't need to hear Seven Nation Army. I hate to say it, Frank. I know you were, you were, uh, you're a fan of hearing it at the shows. You were telling me at least in line, or I think you were it, but uh, I, I don't need to hear it because I'm kind of. I've heard it a- enough. He did I uh, want- "Good Night Irene" in uh, 2014. That right, was good- and I that was the closing track, I believe, on Blunderbuss too, right? Yeah, oh, it was on for the both tours. Oh, really? I really miss a nice folk cover closing song because there's something kind of nice about it's like a nice aperitif. You know, you could <laughs> you could have something to to digest that that concert with with your bull weevil and it just feels like he's personally talking to you through those songs so i miss that and seven nation army is great it's a great song and you know people go to see that i get it but all i'm saying is i want i want b-sides back jack and i want an ending song that's that's my list of demands anyway (laughs) on on the topic of of early shows in 2002 i know this was in in march of 2002 i believe late march I went to Philly, drove to Philly to a place called the Trocadero, which was oh. an awesome little venue. All right, wait, 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 wait. Let's, uh, all right, wait, that was us falling in love with the show. Okay, we got to talk about the Trocadero. This is the, this is the, the. I was uh, there right in the front. I saw everything that happened, and it's. Oh, the re- this is the, the reason. This is the one where he he never went back to Philly, where he shows a mirror to the crowd. Yeah, and I spoke to Jack White <laughs> on the street later on. Okay, well, we'll tell. I'll tell the story in order, but uh, yeah, we'll do yeah, it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go go through. All right, so you go, you you travel to Philly. We're going to the Trocadero. This for those who don't know, Jack White hasn't played a show in Philly. Really, he did like a show with the with Bob Dylan uh, yes. in in Philly at one point with the Rack and Tours. That was the last time proper he's ever been to Philly. But with the White Stripes, with his solo stuff, with the Dead Weather, he has not touched the city of brotherly love, and it bothers me greatly because that is the city I am closest to and would like to see him in. So you're going to the Trocadero. I'm going to Trocadero, and what's important about that show is that they may may have been one other show from this tour that I saw. Because he didn't come to New York yet to do those Bowery shows, which I was at all of them. But this show might have been my first one. There might have been one before that. And I think I, I'd seen one show from the Distill era. Um, so this was maybe the, tops my third White Stripe show. 
I would end up going, I'm not bragging, it's just a statistic. I would end up seeing <laughs> stripes 68 times total. I may have missed out two or three shows, but 68, but I know 100% I was at. But this show was like my second or third show. And we walk in and I'm just like blown away by how tiny this venue is. We're only there like an hour before the show. And I see Brendan Benson. It didn't seem like fans, you know, knew who he was or whatever. So we start chatting. I'm a huge fan of Lapalco. I mean, I had that yeah. album on repeat. What an incredible album. Because um, that's the album of the moment. He only had one Mississippi and then Lapalco. And he just loved that he had fans there. So a friend that, a friend that I went with myself, we were just chatting with Brendan for a while. And he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to go back and uh, I'll see you later. And it was very casual like that. Anyway, let's fast forward. The show starts. It's mind blowing. Of course, we're right on top of this. Like you can put your hand on the edge of the stage. Uh, <laughs> it's like being in a living room. It was blistering. It was all, It was just incredible. I look around and down. The crowd was just like this. They really were. And I, every now and then I glance at the crowd. I'm like, this is fucking exciting. They just dropped one of the greatest albums in White Blood Cells. Like. What are these? And I, I get it. It's not, you know, there's only so many people and maybe they're just more of like a local crowd because it's a smaller venue. I, I don't know what the reasoning is. Uh, I don't want to blame the city, um, but uh, it was a new thing. I get it. It's like maybe maybe most of these people didn't really know a whole lot. It was more curiosity. Oh, little place tickets were like 20 bucks, I believe. About half an hour through the show, maybe a little more. Um, I found the recording of the concert. Jack came out. With a, he left the stage first of all. He left. He dropped his mic, left the stage, put his guitar down, and I think I remember seeing him like point to Meg and say, "Come on!" And they both left the stage. It was abrupt. We're like, "What the hell? Like is happening?" And there was all this confusion, right? All of a sudden, he comes back with one of these long mirrors, the kind that you put like behind like a bathroom door, and he holds it panoramic <laughs> position to the crowd, and he's walking side to side. And I'm like, I get it. He's trying to you know, make a statement about, look at you guys. And I was waiting. I forgot his exact words. They're, they're out there. It's recorded. But my memory says, you know, you paid too much money to act like you're in a movie theater or something to that effect. <laughs> and then he put it back and then he came back on. I stepped it up, you know, a, a 10 notches. But I feel like the crowd didn't. He played a couple of more songs and the show was over. I wouldn't say it was a super short show, but... After driving such a distance, I wish they hit like the hour mark. It was definitely under an hour. It might have been like 40 minutes. And there were some people that were a little sort of like, not as bad as the Radio City show, the infamous Radio Shitty. That was a whole <laughs> different thing. But to me, I wasn't surprised that night because I had seen this. But I'll tell you something. After that Philly show, I was just, I was like, this is one of the most special bands I've ever seen in my life. Like I will drive or fly anywhere to see them. It was so electric. It's it's so vivid in 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 my in my head that show and and just to hear the sound that they they made together. And then here's the funny part. I think it's a week later or even a few days later is the Bowery shows, and I'm outside. Who do I see walking up to the front of the Bowery with a cane? Jack White, and no <laughs> one's going up to him. So I'm like, wait a minute. What? He's just standing here looking around. He has a cane. I'm like, did he hurt himself? I go, I go right up to him. I'm like, hey, Jack. He's like, hey. I'm like, you know, I was at the Philadelphia show. Rough crowd, huh? And he just puts his head down. He was just like, oof. He didn't want to say anything. He just went like this. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, what's with the cane? He's like, eh, I just like the cane. <laughs> like walking around with a cane. But we, we were 
chatting for a few more minutes. A friend of mine was listening to Brendan on his headphones and says, look who I'm listening to. And Jack's like, ah, oh, Brendan, awesome. And it was just very casual. It's like, imagine a time where Jack would just hang out in front of a venue. What color was the cane? <laughs> what color was the cane? Oh, it was just a traditional, I believe it was black. It, oh, wasn't, oh, okay. it, it didn't look like okay. one of these like elaborate Elvis, you know, where it's a dagger if you pull it apart. Oh, no. no, it wasn't anything like that. I was wondering if it was also in theme, which it sounds like it was, but in a subtler, subtler yeah. way. Yeah. It wasn't a peppermint stripe yeah, uh, candy was, cane. <laughs> was sort of... It wasn't. It was. It was. It was simple. But he acknowledged the fact that like and that was from an early time. So it's not BS. All this talk about, oh, he was a prima donna at Radio City. No, he gives a shit. We, you guys know this already. So we don't have to. Yeah. He, yeah. he gives a shit. And it's like, you know, there's a great quote that someone told me, you can't fake giving a shit. And 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 he 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 really gives a shit, and sometimes that's going to be a reaction, um, whether it's good or not. He he wants to give, and for him to give, he, he's got to have his battery charged. And I saw that back in the early days, so well, I love that. That's him. I want to hear about this Deschill show, but uh, for for a bit of context here, you've been a fan, as you mentioned, since two thousand. So that's really early on. So I want to, I want to hear about that, but people might know you from, from white swirl as, as James mentioned initially as narf on white swirl. So you're in that initial fandom outside of Detroit, probably one of the things that helped really propel stuff forward. And then the early wave. Yeah. yeah. And then in, and then in your collecting and things, which we'll get to in a moment, you've got these amazing pieces, these amazing collectibles. And, and I purposefully, I'm just giving it a little illusion to sort of where we're headed with this, but I, I purposefully opened the online museum you've got and then shut it because I wanted to make sure we talked about it. But I saw like the first two things I saw in there, I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that existed. So, so how do you initially find them in 2000? Because Distill, not exactly a commercial success. I mean, they're talking about it in the rock press, but not really elsewhere. Well, that's a great question. I was working at an ad agency um, in Midtown and a really amazing creative director. She's Australian. But she's, um, I think she worked in England and she goes, band, I think you might like, they're called the White Stripes um, and they're releasing a new album next week. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, take this. And she gives me a copy of the still on CD. And I'm like, oh, awesome. I listen to it. The very next morning I go to work late because I go to uh, Tower Records to look to see if they have that. And they had that and they had the self-titled. So I, I got both wow. those albums and played them repeatedly for that week. And then a week later, once I'm already like, oh my God, both of these albums are like incredible. You know, I mean, listen, I'm, I heard you guys are, are Beatles fans. Yes. Um, I'm a huge Beatles yes. fan as well. And I love the White Album. But you know, if you want to edit, edit it down to one album, you could make some amazing, like it's amazing as it is. I'm not putting it down, but you know what I mean? Songs like yeah. Hit Piggies and stuff that are just more freeform, but you know, they could create with their eyes closed um, if, you, if you remove those, but you'd have one, one much more cohesive album. But each of those first three White Stripes albums are so dense. Well, well, let me let me take a step back. Each of the six White Stripes albums are dense and amazing. There's not a clunker in that in, in in those six, but but to just be hit with those three right off the bat was just it blew my mind. Was that the Tower Records in Union Square? No, it was actually in Long Island. I was oh commuting. in Long Island. Okay, it was before I moved into Manhattan. I was still living in Long Island. 
and it's the one in Carl Place. You mentioned uh, the the density of these of those albums. I, I think that's something me and Paul touched on a little bit in our part one of our Elephant uh, review, which is that those those albums are very short. Like the the they're all like thirty to forty minutes for the yeah, most part. Still is thirty seven minutes. Uh, and it does not feel like thirty seven, but it's thirty seven. Right. So they pack so many songs and so much information to a very short time and i can imagine that 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 would definitely appeal to somebody who has a a punk aesthetic or a, not aesthetic but a punk uh, appreciation especially the first two albums would be a great way to hook you and then you have th- them starting to get into more commercially available territory but um yeah the the density of those of those albums they keep rattling off songs at a pace and you don't have enough time to think you don't like them because you're just like that was awesome, and then you're right yeah. into a new one. So yeah, I I, I very much appreciate the, their their ability to do that. They're uh, they're dense. They're dense. They're dense <laughs> Any, people. <laughs> they're dense people. Anyway, you mentioned that you were working at an ad agency, which is I know how a certain part of your collection was was procured because you you knew that they were around the area. I want to talk a little bit about Hardest Button to Button and your meetup with them there. I don't know if that's organic enough if you want to go over any more information before then, if there's other stuff, but... We can get right through it. Listen, we could spend so much time on any one area, <laughs> but like, you know, to make this fun, I think, for people, because it's all about sharing and, and you know, I did two pretty in-depth articles on White Swirl. I've only did, done two about the Hardest Button to Button video shoot that I was lucky to be on. And then before that, when I gave Jack White the airline guitar that later was published in uh, Rolling Stone and Mojo, that's out there. Fans know about that story. But as far as the the um, the hardest button to button, I was just working on a weekend because that's what happens when you work in advertising. And a buddy of mine who lived up in Harlem, a really good buddy of mine, calls me. He's like, Frank, you're not going to believe this. Like the white stripes are like in the middle of the street shooting something. <laughs> like where? What are you talking about? He's like, up, up here on Riverside. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you might want to come down. I'm like, send me the address. And I literally left work instantly, got in the cab, and never to go back and hung out all day. <laughs> and I recognized Michelle Gondry because I had reached out to him to potentially shoot a commercial. We had him as one of the directors bidding. And, and between takes, he was really nice. And I was like, do you mind if I chat with Jack between takes? He's like, no problem. But as soon as we start shooting, I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. And I saw Jack wearing a cast. He had gotten into a fender bender and uh, he had this cast on with a Roman numeral three on it, of course. And you can find those pictures. And uh, I, I told him I was at, you know, this show and that show, just so he knows, I'm, you know, I'm a fan. And um, I tell him about this guitar I found and you know, this guitar, I've always wanted it, but it wasn't like available. I couldn't find it for like two and a half years. I was on eBay guitar stores. Now they pop up every now and then, which is the airline guitar, the original, not the Eastwood remake. You know, like to me, having that memory, like like Jack used to play what? 97% of the show with that guitar. I mean, he'd use the Crestwood too, but some shows he used that airline a lot. And then his acoustic to me, that guitar, unlike any other artist, like you know, it's not a Les Paul, which you've seen other artists play. It's like Frank Sinatra's hat or Superman's cape. It's like that guitar is part of the white stripes. Yeah. It's like uniform. The <laughs> you know, Hoffner, and it's Hoffner like without bass. that guitar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a great example. And it's like that guitar, it's just, I wanted it. I'm not a guitar player, but I just wanted it just to put on my wall and I couldn't find it. I find one in mint condition. 
I don't even know what I, what I paid for it. It was like a buy it now. And then I look, I'm like, holy shit, I just spent $3,000. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, it was like, it was such a moment and it was just a reflex. And then, then, you know, after like a couple of months, it came over me. I'm like, I can't, I was seeing Jack's guitar was missing parts, you know? And, but the thing is, I know it was intentional. It's not like it just fell. I know Jack messes, but at the time I'm like, wait, those knobs are not there. Wait, it looks like there's a pickup. Now there's one pickup. And it was just looking scratched up. Not that that's bad, but I'm like, I have this pristine one and I'm not a guitar player. It's like, this belongs to him. So the stories are out there. You could read that. I'm not going to spend too much time getting into it, but younger fans might not know about it. It's out there. Just look up Jack White, airline guitar, my name. Yeah, there's there's pictures of you. I was reading these articles you sent. I mean, it's it's amazing. So I tell Jack, this is between takes. They're setting up the drums for Meg that Jack, I found a, a mint airline guitar and... I see yours is, is just, you know, it seems like parts of it are falling apart. He goes, yeah, I beat it up. I'm like, I know. I'm like, but I, I want to give it to you. And he looks at me. He's like, wait, it says airline on the headstock. I take a step closer to him. I'm almost nose to nose. And I'm like, Jack, I know your guitar better than you know your guitar. <laughs> because I researched the hell out of it. Mojo actually had a good article, but they got into like details and how he acquired it. The guy from the uh, the Oblivions, Jack Oblivion had it. And then he was after the white version, which had two pickups and or three pickups, actually, which was a little more expensive. And he was willing to sell it to Jack. And then he ended up selling it to Jack. But anyway, Jack's like, wow. And then I believe it was Dan Miller was sort of managing him from Blanche at the time or helping mm -hmm. out. And, you know, he gave me the email address. I sent him pictures and I received an email from Jack White saying, wow, um, I, I have to pull it out to give you word for word. I wasn't prepared. But pretty much he said, I never imagined my guitar would become so iconic. And then he said, if you gave me that, I would cherish it forever. Sign number three. And then it was organized, you know, for me to meet him when he played oh, the White Stripes played Roseland uh, before they closed. And uh, I went backstage after the show. It was organized, you know, so I brought the guitar first up and it was stored somewhere so I could be in the front with the fans. They put me in VIP, but I didn't want to be in VIP. I had to be, you know, in the yeah. front. I should, we should also mention stored with the original case, right? From 1960. Yep, original case. And there's something funny about that because I, I pasted a little note there. I put my name, my number, and I just wrote a little note in there. Good luck. And if you ever want to grab a cup of coffee, something like that, uh, here's my number. <laughs> I figured my information would be on there. It was awesome. We took pictures and the next day or a few days later, I get emails and calls from Rolling Stone. Are you the guy? We heard about this. And I had this picture, the one picture. Actually, there's a couple of other pictures, but that was the best one. And they were awesome. You know, like they, they grabbed Meg. She was in the back and I'm just sitting in between them. And Jack's just holding it while holding a cigarette. And he's like, his first thing he said, he goes, man, the neck feels so thick or so <laughs> stiff, thick or stiff. Because I guess, you know, his has a lot of mileage, but he was just like, had a big smile on his face. And it was just awesome. I never imagined like there would be any press about it. Yeah, man, it was a generous thing. And it came back around. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's, it's a great memory. Later on, much later on, I, I did the crazy two days online to see Saturday Night Live for Boarding House Reach. And I mm. got into the taping. After the show, I walk out and I see Dominic. And I just said hello to Dominic because I had met Dominic in Boston. He's like, yeah, you're the guitar guy. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you know what? I was just holding that guitar recently. And I saw your note 
in the case. I'm like, <laughs> he still has my note in the case. He goes, yeah. He's like, it was awesome. I was like, that's so incredible <laughs> to hear that. So, so that's how all these things connect. And um, I was lucky to be there uh, just to watch that music video be shot. And it was just, it was so cool. I mean, Michelle Gondry's a master. Again, I'm not one of these fans who like attacks someone I love and bothers them and acts like fanboy. I play it cool for the most part, but the whole time I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. There are moments of this podcast in which I sometimes feel like we're of the the up the top tier of fan. Like we're like, well, yeah, I know, I know a lot about the White Stripes and Jack White, and and we do a lot of crazy shit for for the fandom and stuff. But it's pe- talking to people like you where I'm like, oh, oh, we're bad at this. We're bad. At- <laughs> we There's so much we don't know and so much... Hold on, James. Did you say... I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Did you just say people like you? <laughs> oh, man. I think this podcast is over, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm so insulted. But it's one of those things where, like, uh, you're... you're uh, <laughs> You're going above and beyond, and you're you're the the things you're experiencing with this stuff. It's amazing. You were, I mean, it helps that you were in Manhattan because that is one of the two metropolitan hubs that that musicians tend to go to. I mean, now it's Nashville, but New York and L.A. are are kind of known for having a lot of these these kinds of shoots and uh, experiences. So th- in that regard, it it was really helpful that you had that. But it, it isn't in my wildest dreams that I would be there to see a White Stripes music video. And to talk to somebody who did that is it's amazing. So what you what I'm saying is what you've done is amazing. Yeah, this picture here <laughs> of you sitting on the on the drum uh, during when they're all set up. I'm looking at these pictures here. You got autographs on your shirt from Jack and Meg. That is incredible. I have so, a great little video clip that someone took of uh, I believe Jack signing my shirt. Um, I'll, I'll have to dig that out. It's somewhere. Please do. Okay, so there's there's a couple of the things we gotta we gotta go through um, because I know uh, that was definitely one of them. Uh, the Trocadero was another. We also have now. I don't know if this is something you want to talk about. There was something the, the door story it was mentioned in line. Your friend was saying that there was a story about a. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> then then there is no door story. We won't go into that. Let's save that one. We're like an hour in here or so. We'll save that one. But I love that you just you just brought that up. <laughs> I see this is why I remembered it is because you were like, We're not gonna talk about the door story. And I'm like, there's a door story. Let's tell the listeners at least we're not the point of me being here is not to hold back on anything. And you know, if you get to know me deeper, you're gonna know that I don't hold back because there's no reason to. It's fun to talk about this stuff. My really good buddy Tom uh, mentioned something about a door. It's just uh, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to talk about it. It's an in-depth thing. If you're going to tell the door story, that's its own animal. And the thing is, you know, there's a few things I want to get to today and we want to revisit that. I'd rather really give it to the fans than just give them a short version. Um, okay. But but I love that you brought that up. That's funny. <laughs> I, I am okay, because it terrified. Yeah, see, I have no idea what's about to happen to me. Hopefully later. See, that's uh, the yeah. thing. Um, I also want to highlight real quick. You were also at the Brandon Benson show that we have referenced uh, quite a few times, the Hoboken show, where he was loose. We'll just say, um, and where me and Paul relentlessly chanted, "Let me roll it at him" until his band played it, and he requiesced. Uh, acquiesced? Wait, wait, wait. I- acquiesced i would like to add in connection to that i was telling james the other day when i saw ms margot price at the crystal ballroom here in portland she closed with let me roll it and that brendan benson show came washing back over me in that (laughs) moment because i didn't have to ask for it 
It was just apropos of nothing being done at me. And I was a very, very excited 37-year-old white man. He was, he was an excitable <laughs> boy. It was jumping. Anyway. Uh, as Warren Zevon would call him. Th- that is to highlight that you've been to, I think, every single show that we've been to in that tri-state area, which is wild. Yeah. There's that to, to unpack there, which is awesome. Uh, that, Maxwell's, also, that Maxwell show wasn't his best. I'll tell you it that. Was, <laughs> it was not, but it was also super intimate for a, for a Brendan performance. That play, that reminded me of what it was probably like to see the Stripes play in the early days because you're just next to them. Like Brendan walked past us and like yeah. said, like I, we said hi to him on his way to the stage. Weird, weird show, weird venue. Anyway, so we'll talk about uh, that maybe another day. But uh, you you were at the, also the the Colbert performance with the Black Bells. Why don't we roll right into to 2012 and we'll talk about that? Okay, so this is where Olivia Jean comes in. She's part of the Black Bells, and obviously I hear about this cool signing and performance by Colbert. I'm like performance yeah. by Colbert. Oh, that's right. He released that single, uh, uh, Charlene. I'm over you. I think that's the name of it, right? Charlene too. Yep. I'm over you. Yeah. Here's the thing. I love. Colbert. I've always been a huge Stephen Colbert fan. You know, when he's standing next to Jack White, it's like everyone's invisible. (laughs) I'm just focused on Jack because it's a signing. But when I heard about this, I'm at my apartment. I'm living in Manhattan at that point. And I'm like, damn, what am I going to bring? I know they're saying they're going to have a record, but it's outside. So I should bring something else. And I'm trying to figure out what to bring. And I narrowed it down to two or three items. And then I look at my wall. And luckily, after I gave Jack White that guitar about, I would say, seven or eight months later, through through somebody that worked at this guitar store, they tracked one down. Talk about mint condition. In the box, original strings never touched. I thought the one I gave to Jack White was mint, which, which, which it was pretty – I guess it's near mint compared to this. So I got one. And I'm like, I got to get this signed. And I'm not talking about a pick guard. Uh, I'm talking about on the body because, you know, if you go on eBay and you look for Paul McCartney, Hoffner bass pick guard, maybe it's like a $20,000 guitar. If it's on the body, it's like 70,000, not because I want to make money, but it's just more rare and more <laughs> special. You know, it's not just a piece of plastic you got signed. It's the guitar. It's harder to lug a guitar yes. to Very hard. get signed. Yeah. Yeah. And the case is heavy. The guitar weighs nothing, but the case, oh man, I said, I said, fuck it. I'm going to bring this case. You know, when am I ever going to have an opportunity to meet Jack White outside where I'm going to, I'm not going to carry this guitar anywhere. Seemingly endless. You seem to have a lot of those opportunities, (laughs) Frank. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Well, you got to take big swings because sometimes, you know, it won't go your way, but if you don't take the swing, man. So I took a swing that day. I brought it with me. I'm kind of nervous because I, because there's two really big guys and there's like, these fences left and right, like railings to get autographs after the performance. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even get online to buy the tricolor because I was so focused on getting this guitar signed. So what I did is I bought like a regular record, you know, of the Colbert because the tricolors were all gone and I got a good spot online. And these two big guys, one on each side, standing there looking at people holding their records up. So I'm holding this guitar on the side, kind of a little bit to the back, one hand, as if my arm doesn't hurt, and holding a record like this up higher. So they're focusing on the record. And they see the record. I'm like, mm-hmm. And I walk right past them. And as Jack is signing records for other people, I take the guitar out. And 
no time for chit chat or hi, it's me again. It was just, I got, I got to see if he, he's going to do this. I'm like, Jack, can you, I asked him, I said, can you please sign my guitar? And I put it down and he's like, wow, he turns it around. He's like, I'll sign the back. At that moment, I felt the regret instantly set in. I'm like, nah, you signed the front. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, all right. And he signed it beautiful. Like his full name, not one of these rush autographs where you could read J-A-C in a three full in a nice, cool spot. It's my, till this day, that's like my first real like big collectible that I ever got. And it's still my most personal and close to my heart because A, you're not going to find that guitar in that condition. And B, if you do, to get it signed on the body by him like that, not an easy thing. I got really, really lucky that day and I couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. Uh, And I've never... I've never, aside from maybe one or two friends, I've never, you know, again, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not someone that posts this stuff, but at some point, I'll just say it might be part of a different collection that I'll share with the world. Wow. Wow. I love that you had the, uh, the, I was going to say audacity, but not in a bad way. I love that you had the, the, the presence of mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to flip it back over and and i love that he didn't say fuck you <laughs> like, he, like he did it like he respected when when he wanted. did when he did the uh, we're gonna be friends book reading and signing in new york my daughter was just like one and i'm like i want i want to get it signed for my daughter but they said you know uh, he's just signing his name he's just signing inside the book and I said, you know, fuck that. You know, I'm going to write down my daughter's name yeah. on on a, on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, her name's Giovanna. So I had the, the two ends and make sure he, he sees it. And I just went up. I'm like, Jack, can you please sign this to my daughter? And he's like, sure. I'm like, and can you sign the front? And he signed the front of it. And yes. I, it's being framed. I got mine signed on the front, too. They were all, it oh, nice. saying it, it'd be on the inside. But I was like, no, nah, fuck that. Like, I don't want to have to flip it. Look at that. Yes, I got mine on the front too. <laughs> I met my counterpart. See, we think there's a reason we're here today, Paul. <laughs> Although I didn't have the presence of mind to ask for my name on it, um, which I, I should have, uh, but didn't. And that was a year before my daughter was born, so she didn't exist yet. Um, but <laughs> what you should have done is said, "said No, we're going to sign it on the back." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's uh, funny because the timeline of that, um, when we're talking about White Swirl, like I didn't really get serious about collecting in the early days. You know, it, I got serious in 2012. Um, after I got that that yeah. guitar signed in 2011, you know, the White Stripes announced they were breaking up, I think, you know, just within the, those few months there. But, you know, they didn't release Icky Thump since that, that was 2007. So in a way, you could see it as they broke up early, but they didn't announce it to everyone, or maybe they didn't. Who knows? It doesn't matter. But the point the point I'm making is that that was the turning point right there where the White Stripes broke up. But then on, on the White Swirl that somebody told me about, I put out this bombastic sort of, you know, I was the newbie. I must have a screen grab somewhere. Do you guys know if White Swirl still exists? As far as I know, I think it's defunct, but I, I think it's still upheld. Like, I don't think a lot of people are posting on it. I should probably go on and do just for the memory, some screen grabs. But I put this ad, you know, seriously looking for a hand painted Lafayette blues. And then <laughs> you can imagine all like the, the people that have been on, who the hell is this guy? Like, he can't be serious, like, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, was, I think I was specific. I said a Jack White one, which, you know, from my research, there's only seven. I think David Buick painted eight of them. 
for a total of 15. And a few months later, I made the big purchase. And uh, I said to myself, this is the holy grail, like the definitive. People use the word holy grail loosely. That's like the holy grail. I'm like, if I can get one of these and kind of like spend that money up front, it's going to be easy then moving forward because everything else is less than that money-wise and maybe, you know, easier to to get. Yeah, it came from Australia. It was pretty brain-wracking figuring out the insurance. But um, the guy I bought it off was really nice. And we kept in touch for a bit. It's one of my favorite things I own because of, obviously, it, it, it takes you back to those early days and the whole story behind it. Fans out there, if you don't know about the hand-painted Lafayette Blues, research it. All the information is out there. Yeah. Really special record. We've talked about that one, once or twice on the show. First of all, I have many questions, but I wanted to mention, I think that's another similarity we have in that James and I didn't really get serious about the fandom, really until I think we actually started this show. I mean, we had been pretty intense fans, but like we knew the music and James was more of a record collector than I was. It wasn't until like Lazaretto into the drought era that we kind of got more serious about it. And we still don't have the kinds of collectibles you do. I really want to talk about some of these records here desperately because in this collection, so people can go to the Jack white collections.com and Frank, are these all yours or are these different people who contribute or has this site work? Okay. This is how the site works. Um, this is the first time I'm talking about this format, which is exciting. You buy all this stuff. You have it. It's funny. Your, your collection's not dead. Third Man came out with. And, and when I first read that, I'm like, well, if it's not dead, then why does everyone have their records buried in a dark box? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, treat, we treat this stuff like it is dead. And every now and then somebody will show some something off and post it, but that's not like a bigger collection. I've always been hungry to see what people have that's more, um, I guess the word is substantial. Like, does anybody have like a theme? I know you could just collect White Stripes records or Jack White records. That's cool. But there's something bigger here. We could tell stories through collectibles if, if, if there's collections out there that are a bit more focused. Yeah. And that's where the idea was born. So to answer your question, Paul, the Jack White, the pre-Third Man, pre-White Stripes, Jack White record collection there, that was intentionally launched with the first three collections because I want to make a bit of an educational thing and show younger fans that look at all the stuff Jack White was involved with yeah. way before the White Stripes. Whether he's a producer, a writer, did backing vocals, helped record a song, whatever he did, he's credited. That's everything I could find and every pressing of everything I could find. And it took me well over 10 years to track all this stuff down. I would love to say I have one of these. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Von Bondis that came from Japan I found at Amoeba. That's the only one out of all. I mean, I have some like third man pressings of some of the whirlwind heat stuff later, but not this. Like people go to this website, look at these records. This is incredible. That some other guy thing. I didn't even yeah. realize that was that had a, a like a picture sleeve. I had no idea. And yet here you are, Mr. Two copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> one, one. What's well, a variant? There's a variant. There's variants here, um, all, and that's that's a big thing. Once you think you have everything, there's always a variant. <laughs> it's um, amazing. But the thing is, I've been really proud of this collection because I've had so many people reach out to me 
um, saying, thank you. I'm starting my collection and there's so many mistakes on Discogs and now I could collect this stuff because I could see it and I know what they are and put together a collection. I always say the same thing. If you find anything different or something that's not here, please let me know because maybe, maybe I'll learn something. But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff there. And since that got posted, there's about half a dozen new things and variants that I'll end up updating it. So that's my collection that I started with. But the very first collection there, the guitar collection, half those guitars are mine. Half is a really good buddy of mine that lives nearby that's only into guitars. He's not into records. Huge White Stripes fan that we've gone to most shows with since the Satan tour. We've gone to every show with actually together. Huge White Stripes guy. James, you met him online, my buddy Tom. I did. He was he was nice. Super Tom's cool awesome. Guy. Half those guitars are his. And he saw what I had was like the opposite of what he had. And I'm like, together, we have some collection. But wait, does this break the rule of the site? I'm like, no. The, the, the concept of the site is, is collections that people own that have a theme that they feel no one in the world is going to top that. And post it. Let's start somewhere. So like right now, if someone thinks they have a pre-Third Man slash pre-White Stripes record collection that tops mine, more variants, mine gets taken down. Only one could be up there. And you sort of like the champion, you, you hold that torch <laughs> for that collection. So that's the guitar collection. I knew it would, it would turn people on. And this is not just about records. So, you know, the guitars were just like a no-brainer to team up. And then the Jamungos, that was really just show that like, listen, the stuff doesn't have to be crazy expensive. It could be maybe there's someone that's collected pins or t-shirts since the early days, but has an extensive collection. I'll get a photographer to come somewhere wherever you are and we'll photograph it if it's that impressive and it'll forever be on the site. So right now we have Quite a few collections in the works, but so right now all the stuff is mine except half the guitars. You've got this, there's this Gretsch, the Copper Gretsch on here from the Tours. I am shocked to see a good version, like a non, looks like it went through World War I version of this K hollow body arch top. That's the Seven Nation Army guitar, right? Yep. But his looks, his looks like it's been... Eaten that's my by guitar, carpenter yeah. ants or something like <laughs> yours looks that's nice. The Seven Nation Army guitar. That's that's all original. Uh, going back to the Gretsch Copper Jet, my that's my buddy Tom's guitar. Um, you could read the little description there, but that guitar is from the original lot that he made for Jack White. And there's yeah. no other one from those early days that has a number three. He made three of them. One actually that's... had a number two engraved in it, like the like inset. That's all legit. Randy Parsons made that. Yeah, the right. same that's exact guitar guy. Yeah. yeah. So you'll, you'll see on Instagram and stuff, fans have ones they've made on their own. Uh, that, that, that's the real thing. We've been wanting to talk to Randy, if you ever come across that. I can get you that. that. Yeah, let, let us know. Yeah, We'd love to have him on. We, I have some some questions. No problem. But the crown the crown jewel, I mean, I hate to say crown jewel, but like if you, anytime you have a chance to own a guitar that Jack White wow. actually played, that was my conquest, the, uh, the Elton John. Yes, I'm uh, just looking at that. Yeah, the American Epic. Whiskey. That's the yeah. actual guitar. Someone put me in touch, let's just say, with the studio but they recorded american epic and that was a guitar that they had in-house and the guy was willing to sell it and i got that and something else that was featured we'll save that one for later too that's a whole other the actual other thing was just a glass full of whiskey no you got the you got the boa elton showed up and that (laughs) song is so good and that 
video. I feel like American Epic gets forgot about all the time, but that is such a great project, and I can't believe you did that. That now I, that was shot out here, and that was where that was shot in L.A. Right? That um, it was shot on the West Coast, I believe. Yeah, that was in, that yeah. was in L.A. somewhere. I, I think I tried to track it down one time. Now you have something that also a lot of fans think about wanting, <laughs> but never really get the opportunity to get, which was actual upholstered furniture by the man like furnishing your house you have jack white upholstered furniture i don't know if you want to get into that or not yeah listen it's only the thing you mentioned before because it, it'll just be better more detail but no that, there's nothing nothing's off the record yeah listen this was something actually that popped up on ebay it's the first time i ever saw anything um upholstered pop up i bring it up only because i see like 80 copies of the upholsterers uh, on your <laughs> on your collections website and I'm like and it reminded me like oh yeah that man has real upholstered furniture that he could dig into and look for records no, if he wants not to not just that this I didn't even realize the Muldoons was a thing I had no clue <laughs> and Jack produced it the cool thing about the upholstered chairs that I got um, was a couple of things the records you're, you're you're referencing were put into chairs I believe in 04 or 05 I think that's what Blackwell said. Yeah, I think that's what Blackwell said. Um, really? That's pretty late in the game. Yeah, that was later. That was that was well, you know. That, but in the earlier days, there weren't records in there. But apparently, some had poetry yeah. in the chairs. I haven't opened up my chairs. I had thoughts of X-raying them. I left them intact. There's four chairs. These have the original business cards from '98, which were <laughs> black. Uh, with Jack White's handwriting on them. But but you want to hear the really cool? Well, an extra cool thing about this. The person who sold them to me, if you haven't, I would try to reach out to him. Super nice guy. And I really like the band he was in. Jeff Meyer. He was from Rocket 455. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Really, really good band and a super nice guy. Once we started chatting, he said, yeah, I actually recorded the first White Stripe song. Let's shake hands. He was the one that actually, and he's credited. Look at Let's Shake yeah. Hands. His name is yeah, on the back. Yeah. And Jack did these for him back in like 98. and. It's like this glitter red vinyl. Yeah. So to get it from the guy who recorded the first White Stripes track ever, that made it extra special for me. That, Yeah, that's amazing. I'm looking at this thing. I forgot about Mystery Man. That was on some bootleg out there that I had tracked down early in the recording of the first like batch of episodes of the show. I forgot that song existed, but here you have a... 45 copy of it and this is going to actually probably wind up making it to the elephant episode because yeah this was recorded with the band the generators while recording elephant yep. jack giving backing vocals that's not a backing vocal on mystery man that's just a straight up vocal on mystery man but that is just amazing i just i'm and he's credited as blind jack lazarus <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> I'm just the man. This is it, amazing. Yeah, he's got a million of them. Can I? I just want to. I want to jump in because um, I'll have a regret. I don't know how we're doing on time, but it's funny. I was listening to the episode you did about collecting the one with Amy yeah, Hart. Amy Hart. Hart. Yeah, Hart. Who's great, by the way? That was really fun. Amy, you're out there. Awesome job. Sorry, I'm not on Facebook, so <laughs> I've never been in the collectors group. But I think she, she has a great energy, great passion. And um, you guys talked about a couple of things that it's funny to me because I don't know. I just, in my head, it's just, it's a little different. Like you guys were chatting about fans caring about being spectators and they want an experience, right? Concerts. And we know experiences are forever, but collectors want stuff, 
right? Yeah. And we know some collectors flip stuff. A lot of collectors eventually get out of collecting or they're collecting other stuff. It's like, it's more temporary. It's not the same as like an experience you have that's forever, but it's been the opposite for me. Collecting is not something so fickle. It's part of the bigger experience. And, you know, it's because I'm such a huge fan that I'm able to collect as seriously as, as I do. I would never be able to stay with it and do it for all these years if I didn't absolutely love the band as much, you know, as much as I, as I do. So, you know, my mission of putting together the most definitive Jack White collection in the world is only possible because I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So, you know, being a fan came first for me, not collecting, but it's funny. I feel like collectors get like a bad rap sometimes. Like it's a dirty word. I've, I've heard people say things like, Oh, we got to keep this out of collector's hands. Or it's like, really, if someone's spending a lot of money for something, that's yeah. great for the artist. You know, you, you, you're showing that like, that's, that's a lot of love if you're going to spend your hard-earned money, money on something. So I don't know. I just, you know, I defend the collector and I love, I love people that have passion for anything. And there's, there's some amazing collectors out there. So I say, collect away, man. I mean, well, one of the main sorry. differences, one of the key differences, I think, with, with a collector like you, and similar to our show, you've collected your way into a, a literal <laughs> part of Jack White's life and history. Like you've... You've done a thing, like you you collected so hard you became a part of it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, like because yeah. like we we podcasted and then suddenly Paul's doing merch with the man. Like it just <laughs> it it does be it starts to overlap at the, the the layers, the onion, the ogre layers really start coming in. I, I just want to make sure we were talking about before, you know, swirl and, and the website, jackwhitecollections.com, that it comes through that like it's not just random collecting although there's nothing wrong with buying random stuff if that's what makes you happy and what i mean by random is just you know, some dead weather some raconteurs some elvis wh whatever you like there's no right or wrong way but for me i can only speak for myself it's been crucial for me to be motivated and and focused on specific themes like that happened before the idea for the website you know i i see collecting kind of like archaeology in a way yes. you know yeah you first discover where you're going to dig right like what's your specific collection and then right. you collect all the bones and assemble them to tell a bigger a bigger story and and that's that's been the thing because if, if something comes up today that's like expensive and i'm like damn i really don't want to spend this money i look at wow this really takes a collection that's already up there another notch up and i've spent so much time and effort and money like is this going to kill me, you know, to take it up another notch? So I have to convince myself and be able yeah. to sleep on myself uh, somehow. But a lot of times that's the mentality, unless it's something so obnoxious, the price where it's like, you know what, that doesn't even raise my the quality of my collection much. But that's, I think, the thing when you get into like really serious collecting, it's not just about spending money. Like yeah. that's easy. It's finding the items. A lot of these things are like one-offs and it takes a lot of time. You got to be nice to people. Obviously nobody's going to look <laughs> out for you if, you if you're not respectful, but there's so much time and effort. Also some really nice collectors coming through for me. But if, if I had to make a break, I would say 90, maybe 90% of, of my collection came from eBay. And yeah. I would say another like six or 7% connections from fans from other fans and maybe one percent <laughs> came from people who used to work at either a pressing plant 
or one of the record labels. Right. But I've never, like you would think, but I've never, technically, I've never reached out to anyone at Third Man to buy any rare item. Now, I definitely have stuff that I'm sure originated there, but other fans have gotten, but I've never, I've never reached out to anyone there for, for anything. And, you know, I, I'm just proud of, but I've, I've done this myself. No one's given anything, you know, you know, to me really. And, and it's been just um, such a passion of mine and so much fun because it's part of the bigger Jack White experience. Yeah, and you you should be a... proud. Yeah, what you've done is is an incredible compilation of a very focused and specific material that we happen to also like this very specific kind of nitty gritty. And I I really do I think what you've done is incredible. The website's incredible. The collection is incredible. Uh, it will all. It's also something that can make Ben Blackwell mad. So that's uh, a plus <laughs> in our book. I, I just so we love Ben, but James and I grew up. Hold on, but Ben did something really funny when they had the garage sale auction. In one of the items, he put my name on it. It was the Meg White symbol, and it's like this is for the collector that like has everything. He's, he wrote, uh, "We're looking at you, Frank Anselmo." <laughs> he wrote in the actual. And I cracked up. So I'm proud to be called out by Blackwell in an actual auction. So it's funny because I think people think like I'm just like this uh, this hermit because I don't post and brag about stuff. I'm afraid that as soon as you talk about something, people think you're bragging or you're throwing it in their face. This yeah. is different. This is your podcast. I'm happy to talk about anything. But any fans reach out. I, I, this is this one fan that's into gear and he's always messaging me trying to find out about stuff. And, and um, I'm always happy to respond to a fan. I love you know, fans of Jack White. And there's all these younger, younger, I say younger because a lot of fans are younger than me, getting into stuff now and have all these questions. And uh, I try to like check email late at night because uh, I could, you know, spend the day but um, it doesn't bother me, you know, like it's it's totally cool. Well, that's well, I know we mentioned it on the, the last collections episode with Amy Hart, but a collector, what they do is that they don't do it for themselves necessarily. It's also to show other people and to experience it with other people. It's not to show it off. It's to, you know, be like, look at look at this stuff. You can see it all in one area because otherwise it's just hoarding. And I, I know I mentioned this quote that John Hodgman says a lot, uh, comedian John Hodgman, the difference between a, a hoarder and a collector is a display case. That's yeah. the only kind of uh, distinction. And what you've done is made a digital display case to show people. And it's it's not to keep it for yourself. You're saying, look, this is all of this information and all of this stuff. You know, if you ever want to see it in one place, it's here. I appreciate that. I was going to mention our dad does that. In a, he has a room in his house for that, for Beatles stuff. But also the podcast became that for him, too, where he could take all these pieces of bootlegs and ephemera from Beatles stuff throughout the years and put them in a place. He, like you, goes through and targets specific areas, right? So he got a first-run set of all the English 45s, Beatles 45s, original Parlophone. Now he's on jukebox cards for all the uh, <laughs> yeah. Beatles and solo singles going around collecting the jukebox. They're not terribly expensive, but to have them all is kind of interesting. Like you say, it's like archaeology. I but myself. That's what's cool. That's what's might, cool. That, that, that's, what, that's what I'm looking for. It's like people who have, have gone through the trouble that you know, right. most, <laughs> most likely there's no one else in the world <laughs> that put together this. Um, mm -hmm. And the world is big. There could be, and that'll be fun if someone gets topped. But, you know, I got to be honest with you. Like I, I've had people reaching out to me for collections, but. A lot of them, there's a couple of cool things, but it's not enough to be like, yeah. damn, um, 
this is like kind of overboard. I'm I'm looking for those types of collections to feature, but until then, I have you know qu- quite a few of my own collections that are that are going to be on there at some point. But I mean, it's, it, the goal was was not to make it all about me. Yeah, because I think her father has probably the world's largest collection of teenage girls' autograph books from 1950s to 1960s. Uh, just just in hopes yeah. that there's an autograph that of an unknown who was. You know, attached to a record. He's got some weird autographs in there. Just from the James, James, like, yeah, and I was James and I inherited BBC. Some, some strange genes there. Um, <laughs> you're, you're talking to somebody who spent real human money on a uh, trading card set of the Fantastic Four 2005 movie uh, I, because, and I, I just was putting them in their protective sleeves this morning uh, because <laughs> I got I got it in my head. I wanted to complete like my Marvel card collection beyond the 90s which are few and far between james did you know they made an upper decks marvel metal set in 2020 2021 and 2022 each of which go for about a thousand dollars on ebay the thing is i don't believe you because that's insane they shouldn't have done that anyway we digress um uh, uh, your dad your dad sounds awesome man uh, you would have a field he, day in his room. He made he was, a room like your website. He it's, it's he was admiring your website actually. When um, I, w- I showed him uh, the collections episode, uh, the collections website. I was talking to him uh, when when we were visiting the uh, last couple weeks ago, and uh, he was enamored with your uh, with your database of of records and stuff. And I was like, yeah, he took these photos. He's like, I. I know. First of all, I know. I could tell. And second of all, he's like, I want to know what what programs he's using and how he's doing this because he wants to display that too. He's got his his record collection um, in his phone uh, currently uh, through some third party app. But he he loved the way you were displaying it and yeah, and writing about it. So he was he was very much uh, taken taken with it. Very cool. Uh, this has been so much fun, Frank. Thank you for joining us today. I, I want to do a whole episode on whatever the door story is um <laughs> i i assume it's gonna end with you being wanted by the law for indecent exposure um or something, something like, like that, that. <laughs> nothing like that this, this is a lot of fun to talk about this stuff and you know i forget some of the stuff there was a couple of things here that we didn't get to but it's okay we will have to have you back Unless you want to do three more minutes. Do you have three more minutes? Yeah, let's do three more minutes. Yeah, yeah. What 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 better number than three? Okay. I'm gonna go quick like machine gun silhouette style here. <laughs> um you like you see what I did there? I, I love it actually. It's better than lightning round, which we were doing. Yeah. Which um and these these are maybe things you've referenced. So uh, after the hand painted, the next thing was the 10 inch ball and biscuit record. Mm-hmm. Um it's a test pressing. Research it. You don't know about it. Um th- that's a pretty big one. Um, the triple inch phone record player, it's mm. pretty funny. The White Stripes website um, stated that on the first show at Coney Island, only one sold. Um, guess who bought that one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually designing a case and a plaque for it because it's pretty cool to think only one sold. And I was the first one to have one. So that's really special. Um, and and um, I have a screen grab off the website. So that's good, pretty cool. Good, good. That's number one. Um, the upholsters of blood card, they've been out there, but just a warning to fans, there are fake blood cards out there. If we ever want to get into depth about things to avoid and how to spot a fake autograph and, you know, let's just say this might blow people's minds, but I've tracked down two blood cards with the same number. Um, there are fakes out there. Um, and guitar picks, 
all the white stripes ones you see on eBay are all fake. Sorry to tell you, they're all fake right now. Um, so it's sad, but this exists. We didn't get into the, we got into the good, but we didn't get into the bad and the ugly. Um, uh, but one item that I hold close to my heart um, is a, a, a test pressing of the Sub Pop Party of Special Things to Do uh, with the Erica Records label. I've never seen one come up till this time. It's a one of a kind. Um, wow. You know, I love the track, but like I, that, that was like one of those items I couldn't even believe popped up. Is is that the one that was released with that magazine? No. Or- no, that's handsprings. Oh, that's handsprings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Party of Special Things to Do was the um half red, half white sub pop right. release. It's the only white stripes record that was released on sub pop. Um, but I was I was psyched to get that. And uh, you know, to end this thing, I just want to share a really cool story um about something Meg used to do in the the still slash white blood cells era in between. Um, or at the end of one tour and the beginning of the other one, she would take a piece of notebook paper and write a little note and make an airplane and throw it out of the tour bus. And I have one of those original that says, uh, what's black and white and red all over? And Meg signed it. And um, I have one of those originals. And that's something that most people don't know about that. That's a deep cut right there. Um, But she used to do that. And, um, you know, Warstick had an auction. They auctioned off all the bats and they started doing, I think, one or two Jack White used bats. And I was lucky to win a Jack White used one. But when they posted pictures of the event, what was really awesome was Jack's mom played in that game using that bat. So it's so (laughs) special to have a bat that not just Jack used, but his mom and you know, this is a woman responsible, obviously, for him being here, but she could have quit after nine children, but she <laughs> didn't. She went for number 10, and we wouldn't be chatting right now if it wasn't for her. She had to have that seventh son. Now, I can I insist on something that if you ever do display this with a placard of any kind, can you please just say it was used by Jack White's mom, and then in very small print, and Jack White. <laughs> and uh, I'll just give you one final thing. This is it. This is the encore. Um you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm looking at you, Ben Blackwell. So in the <laughs> in the Distill Bolt box set, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. um, everything in it is just absolutely gorgeous, um, as it, they usually are. Um, there's a shirt that um, Meg wore, and Jack White wrote the set list, and it said that this was the last set list the White Stripes used. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get you on a technicality because I tracked the set list down. Um, It's a little different, but technically I'm challenging it. When the White Stripes played with Jeff Beck, they were the White Stripes. They're in red and white. The the drum set had a Yardbirds logo on it. But I have a set list that was used um, with markings and tape and everything. And it says White Stripes. So they didn't perform White Stripes songs, but it's technically... (laughs) I think the last white stripes fetless. Oh, I'm giving it back to you, uh, uh, Ben. But uh, anyway, you could look at it both ways. But that's a that's pretty special item to me. But uh, anyway, I'm going to stop right there. We could keep going and going and going. Um, uh, One thing I don't have in my collection is uh, the the most definitive and awesome podcast about jack white uh that's ever been created created and ever will be created and 
it's incredible what you guys do. And I'm just so psyched just to blabber about stuff. And uh, yeah, man, I hope fans get something out of this and anyone has questions for anything. Um, reach out. It's never, uh, I never turn away a fan, but, but thank you guys. Oh, that's so, it's so nice of you to say, I really, really appreciate it. You know, sometimes James and I feel like we're doing this in a vacuum. So it's nice to hear those things. I will say there is a 45 pressing of, uh, some selections from our first run of episodes and only two exist. One James has, and one Jack White has. Uh, which was given to him at that We're Going to Be Friends signing. Uh, so that's a collector item we put out into the world. And uh, Wait, it's, a, it's a selection from your podcast from the early days pressed on a 45? Yeah, yeah. pressed on clear plastic, uh, clear that's 45, cool. not, it's a square. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lathe? Yeah, yeah, but there's, it's a, it, yeah, it's just like a fl- square. I found I'll send you a photo of it. I have it. That's awesome. So, yeah. But yeah. I, I hope it actually got to Jack. I don't actually know. I gave it to one of his people at that. We're going to be friends signing uh, because I had one and James had one. But anyway. You know, it's, um, fun. it's funny. The word completist always comes up. People say, Frank, you're a completist. And it's like, I was just watching the Beatles Let It Be documentary. And it's like, what, six hours or something? It's like mm-hmm. nine. It's like nine hours. Nine. Oh, nine. But for me, I'm pissed off because I heard there's 50 more hours. Like, I want to see that. <laughs> So it's that mentality that, you know, drove me to everything else. You want to hear something messed up is that Peter Jackson wanted to release it and Disney said no. I know. I read that. And that <laughs> broke my heart. Nobody Mystery. said you have to watch it in one one sitting. I mean, yeah. anyway. Anyway. Somebody actually went through the trouble. It's, it's funny. I wouldn't recommend anyone do this. But there exists on the internet. Someone took the Nagras tapes, which is... Um, the complete audio, so way more hours than the video, and put the chopped up Peter Jackson footage into chronological order with the Nagras. And then when there was a blank spot with no visual, they would just be like black, and then the visual would pop again. So they actually went and put it all in chronological order. Well, like it plays in real time, kind right. of right. So it shows you. It shows you, yes, it plays in real time. So you can see a little bit more clearly what exactly is happening because Peter Jackson had done a few things that were for the sake of the narrative. Like when Paul says the and then we were two and it looks like he's going to cry, that's kind of manufactured a little bit for the narrative of the thing, which I was kind of heartbroken to hear, frankly. And the group hug was them making fun of Michael Lindsay Hogg in a way that he wouldn't be able to hear. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, love, I love that. But anyway. Oh my uh, God, I hope they release that. Um, yes. Well, awesome, guys. Um, yeah, yeah. This has been really fun. Um, yeah. Anyway, I so, send my thanks. Thanks a million. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, everybody out there should check out uh, thejackwhitecollections.com. Uh, take a look, see at this amazing collection. That's uh, thejackwhitecollectionsplural.com. And um, yeah, uh, if you have uh, a collection that could beat his Highlander style, uh, I guess yeah. email Frank. Uh, th- this this has been super fun. Uh, it, it, I feel like we could talk for another eight hours uh, on the show about this. So we'll have you on again. We got to get this door story. Um, but but thank you thank you again. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we end- uh, well. I guess yeah. we, we we close the show by uh, by looking for a home, Bull Weevil style. We we're going full circle now. Well, I I will be looking for a home in the Jack White Collections dot com at all of these. 
Muldoon Family Records I didn't know even existed. That's where I'll be looking <laughs> and, for a home. And I'll be looking for a home um, at the blood bank where I assume all of the blood cards are. <laughs> Uh, the real ones, that is. So that's where I'll be looking for a home. Frank, where will you be looking for a home? I will be looking for a home in a place that I've been looking for a home for the past almost three years, and that's not a coincidence. I'm a building sort of like a, let's just say, renovating another floor um, for sort of, uh, you know, all my stuff, because my <laughs> stuff is scattered. So at some point, stuff stuff's going to be really organized. And uh, yeah, let's just call it the dungeon right now. All right. That's where I'm looking for a home. And, okay. and I will be there to uh, charge uh, for tickets to get in. All right. Um, thanks, Frank. Uh, this thank is you. Great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you again. And uh, yeah, bye. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time.